throughout all of history and every part of the world, people ate every part of the animal because that's just what you did. Like before Google told you how nutrient dense liver was, people just hunted animals and ate their livers because they knew, right? Yep. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So we talked a while ago, it seems like, and it's kind of funny how you have like one conversation with someone on a podcast and it's like an hour long and you feel like you're buddies, you know, I can like DM you and it's just like very casual. It's just really, really fascinating. So we decided to do the video so I can see your book in the background, which we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about your recent, I guess, departure from Paleo Magazine because you were there for a while. And I mean, you grew that podcast to like pretty substantial. I remember you, I see, I saw you guys had a million downloads. Is that correct? Yeah. Over a million downloads. Um, so are you not doing that show anymore and just like completely your own thing? Like give us a backstory. Yeah, I'll give you, uh, I'll try to give you the quick backstory as a podcast host. I'm not known for being succinct, so you can <laughs> feel free to interrupt me as needed. Um, but you know, I've, I've written for paleo magazine for probably eight years. That's really how I kind of got my start from the journalistic side in health and, and wellness. I was kind of doing it for fun. And then I managed to sort of connect with those guys and I wrote a couple things for them and it just sort of spiraled to the point that I was writing probably three or four uh, pieces in every issue. And then I took over as host of the podcast and I hosted Paleo Magazine Radio for about three years. Um, and then sort of at the beginning of the pandemic, so when things were really starting to heat up uh, last March, the magazine, and of course, I'm not speaking on behalf of the magazine. I want anyone who hears this to know that this is my experience with what happened. So if you, you know, yep. maybe if you spoke to the, the folks at Paleo Magazine, they might have more information for you, but this is just what I know. So they decided, they had made the decision to move the magazine from print to digital only. And their reasoning was that it was obviously more sustainable and better for the environment to not have print paper magazines. And also, of course, cost. It's an extremely expensive venture. And while that, from my understanding, the magazine did quite well, considering that it was a niche publication, like they were the first and best people to do it in the paleo world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that maybe maybe they were having some struggles. Maybe they're having some issues. Maybe they just didn't kind of want to do it anymore. And so they were transitioning to a digital uh, framework only. Um, and I had some concerns, again, just as somebody who has loved the magazine and been a part of it for a long time. I, I didn't really know if they were super set up to sort of support um, a digital framework. But yeah, again, it's completely it's, different. It's, it's completely not as different. simple just transfer. I like seeing the magazine. Like if I go into Whole Foods and I see all the plant-based basically propaganda at this point, I like seeing Paleo Magazine there as a counterpoint, right? And like I used to buy, I remember when it was always there, I would always buy it just like as a, as a rule of thumb because like, wow, mm-hmm. Paleo, it's going mainstream. So yeah, it's kind of it. sucks that I feel like there's not going to be anything like that anymore. Or maybe it's there will true. be. And like the weird thing too is like, I get that they were saying like, this is part of our ethos is to not be wasteful and all that stuff. But there's also something sort of parallel where it's like paleo is about analog and like really like not being on mm. screens all day. And so yep. kind of this movement to whatever. So that was happening and they were doing the transition. They kind of like... Sh- stopped sort of the writers weren't really writing anymore so that was sort of my first pandemic job loss that happened you know mm. it is what it is and I was like I'll be happy to support you however it is going um, but the next decision they made was that they decided to shut the podcast down which didn't make a lot of sense if you're <laughs> moving to a to a digital wait, platform, wait, wait, right? wait. why okay so what's the 
did it cost a lot of money? Were they like paying per episode? Because I mean, podcast is one of those things that you probably get somebody to almost do for free if they enjoy doing it. Like I would do a podcast for free if it was like a part of something, you know? Yeah. I mean, my understanding was more, it wasn't that it was costing them so much. It's that it wasn't making them so much. And um, I think, you know, as we all in this industry know that podcasting to a certain extent is a bit more of a labor of love and also supporting maybe other things that you do. Like there are probably very few people getting rich podcasting. Like yeah, it's not really the, the format, right? Like it's just not, it's like, it's like YouTube. Yeah. 1% of 1% might make sustainable money and the rest kind of make 10 bucks from AdSense every so often, but that's not why you would shut a YouTube channel down, especially if you have right. a million downloads, right? Like that just, that's, that seems strange. Yeah. I mean, I fought it. I fought it. I said, look, I think we've, this is the only digital platform you currently have that's working. If you want to start making some money, we can get some sponsors. We can get right. some people to, to put some money into it. We built this audience. Like let's, you know, let's revisit this. And he, they just weren't into it. So they shut it down for probably six weeks. And while this was happening and I had lost this big, not only this big part of my, my career, but also this, this platform that I use to communicate with people and to connect with people. And I was really missing it during the pandemic. And I'm like, I'm not about this. Like, this is just going to keep floundering. We're, we're losing people. We're during a time when people want to feel more connected than ever. We're less now. I'm not into it. So I went back to them and I'm like, let me just take the podcast. Like, let me just take it and I'll rename it and run with it. Cause you don't want it anymore. And like, this is kind of my thing at this point. Like I've been doing it for a few years. And, uh, so I ended up buying it from them. Um, they didn't want to give it to me. I was just going to ask you, is it for sale? So that, so I'm glad somebody took advantage of it. So that's good. So are you yeah. going to reactivate it or what? Well, this is what I did. So my podcast right now, um, is muscle maven radio and it is the former Kelly oh, magazine radio. Cool. So I essentially just took the audience and rebranded it like yep. overnight. And now it's, I, you know, I think it's better because now it's, it's it's literally me and my same sort of ability to communicate the same great guests, but I've kind of opened it up a little bit more so that it's not like it doesn't have to be tied to paleo. Right. Um, and it isn't, you know, we're talking nutrition, we're talking fitness, we're talking wellness, I'm talking neuroscientists, I'm talking nutritionists, I'm talking all kinds of people, athletes. Um, and so it's continued to grow. And it was kind of a fun process for me because it was me sort of taking the reins of, you know, people who create their own jobs and entrepreneurs at a certain point, you have to stop supporting other people and start doing something for yourself. And that's really kind of, this was sort of the opportunity for me to do that. I'm like, you know, I, I did this thing for paleo magazine for a while and I'm going to do it for myself and hopefully reach more people and, and do more with it. So, um, I don't really know what's going on with paleo magazine right now. I hope that they continue and I hope that they keep providing a valuable mm -hmm. service to people. I haven't really seen much happening. Um, but I don't know. So, um, well, that's great. I'm glad you took advantage of that opportunity. I mean, that is actually going to be an opportunity for you. I think like, that's awesome. Actually, it's probably Absolutely. a good thing to happen for you. Yeah, so, so. so you've, you know, taken advantage of this pandemic, right? Like as a lot of us have in whatever way we can, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Air quotes. So what, um, like you have the podcast now, this book kind of like is looked like it was maybe started the process a long time ago, or, or it's been a while. And then maybe just coincided with the fact that now you were able to take over this podcast or like, was the book kind of a spur of the moment thing? Actually, yeah, it was not a long time coming at all. Really? This, okay. was, um, this was a perfect example of an idea that I kind of like zero to a hundred manifested very quickly. Um, and it 
actually happened. So I don't know if you were there, but the last keto event, there was KetoCon that's in Austin. It's like mm-hmm. right after Paleo FX. Yep. Um, the last one that we were allowed to have when people could hang out. I went to, the, to that one and I was mm-hmm. hanging out with some people and I was talking to a couple of my friends who had written cookbooks. And I started just kind of this again, this was like the year of me like doing stuff for myself. Like this is the year of Ashley. Like I'm going to sort some stuff out for myself. And I was talking to some of my friends who had created these cookbooks. And I started thinking, I'm like, I'm actually a writer. Like a lot of these people, they pay people to do their recipes for them. They're doing it because they have a lot of Instagram fo- and I'm not, yep. I'm not knocking them, but I'm just saying like, basically it's like a product they're creating because they've got a big audience. They know they can sell some copies. I actually like am a writer and I, I want to, I have an idea that I really want to do. And I've been mm-hmm. mulling over this like organ meat concept for a while because I feel passionately about it. I eat them all the time. And I was starting to share that with my online community and people were starting to kind of be interested. Like for everybody who did like a little puke emoji, when I posted right. about liver, there were people who were like, okay, like, what are you doing here? Like, how do you right. make this? How do you make this good? Why is mm-hmm. this good? And I'm like, I there's an opportunity here. Like, as you know, you have a company and you sell products, you sell all kinds of things. Like there's a risk, but also a big reward to doing something that a lot of other people aren't doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's three or four organ meat cookbooks that exist and they're usually French chefs or hunters. Right. So I knew that I had this ability to kind of connect with like the every person and put this out there in a way that's really accessible and encouraging and easy for people to get their heads around. And so I had this idea. I started talking to one of my girlfriends who had written some cookbooks and I kind of was like soft pitching it to her. I'm like, what do you think? Like, what do you, think? you think this mm-hmm. is something I could get away with? And she's like, I think this is a great idea. I'm going to talk to my publisher and if they like it, they'll call you. Hmm. A week later, I had a call with Victory Belt and a week after that, I had a contract because I was... I was so ready for this. Like I was going to write this book, whether anyone picked it up or not. And I think that the publishers got that and they were like, all right, this chick's like into it. Like she knows, (laughs) she knows what she wants with this. And then, you know, I I created my own timeline because I'd never written a book before and I was an idiot and I created an incredibly short timeline, you know, like the rules of, you know, the work will fill the time that you give it. Parkinson's law. Exactly. So, and then of course it happened that I was really getting to the meat, no pun intended of writing this when the pandemic hit. And so I had no other distractions. Mm. I literally for five months (laughs) sat in my house and sat in front of my computer and wrote for 10 hours a day, recipe development, all this stuff. So I ended up like from talking, like getting in a contract with my publisher to the book being in my hands was like 10 months. So that's still a good amount of time. I mean, nowadays with the internet, 10 months is like 10 years, like what it used to be. So it's, it's true, but not in the publishing world. <laughs> no, I mean, for a book, it's world. fast. Yeah, that yeah, is, it, that's insane. It was, it was deeply intense, but it was also like, if I had given myself two years, I just would have messed around for two years. You know what It would have taken so, you two years if you gave it, if you gave yourself two years, that's Parkinson's exactly, law. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I love the title. Yeah. So why don't you just give us a rundown of the book and um, let's get into organ meats a little bit. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So the book is uh, an educational and I hope entertaining book that is also a cookbook that is nose to tail organ meat specific. So it's broken down. There's a big section in the beginning that kind of talks about the benefits of eating nose to tail. And that's not just for health, but also sustainability, the ethics standpoint, the economic standpoint. Yeah, totally. Not wasting it. Not wasting every, every, yep. So all of that, and then it's a breakdown of what awful, what organ meats are, and sort of from head to toe, going through each cut and each organ and talking about their benefits, how you prep them, how you cook them, um, how they're enjoyed culturally and throughout the world and all of these things. And then it's kind of broken down because it's not a typical cookbook. It wasn't like breakfast, lunch, dinner. It's like 
the head, like the heart, mm. the liver, like kind of broken down that way um, with probably, I think maybe 85 uh, recipes. So wow. yeah, I mean, that that's basically it. Like I just, uh, it was a lot of work for me because I'm not a recipe developer. I mean, I'm a passionate eater, but I'm not like a, I don't have like a background as a right. chef. So a lot of it was really kind of a learning as you go learning process for me, like learning how to source some of these less typical cuts. Um, first time I brought home like a brain and I'm like, all right, I got to hmm. do some with this. Like, you know, it was a really kind of fun, interesting learning experience for me, but it helped me kind of practice what I preach around um, turning towards every part of the, the food cycle and the food system instead of turning away from the stuff that makes you uncomfortable, you know, because when you turn away, and I'm talking about meat eaters too. I'm not just talking about like vegans and vegetarians here. The meat eaters who, who don't want to see the meat on the bone or they don't want to think about what they're eating. When you turn away from the process, you allow all the inhumane shitty ways that we treat animals to occur. Right. And that does still happen a lot. So if we can just sort of stop pretending that we're, different from the rest of the the world that the animal kingdom that we're not separate yeah (laughs) pretend that we're separate from them and above them and that we're not part of this food cycle that is what is allowing us to do all this inhumane crappy stuff that we're doing so if we instead turn to it and say i'm I'm a meat eater we're all omnivores we're going to eat meat so if we're going to do that let's engage with the process let's learn about where our, our food is coming from and how it's raised and harvested and how we can make them the best use of it and how we can support our local producers and, and all of that stuff. So that's been like really a process for me. So you had to get in the kitchen and, and was it like you had an idea because they gave you some recipe ideas of like, here, this is where you should start with like a liverwurst. Like if you've never made these certain recipes with brains before, where are you starting from? Is it just like Google like investigation to find out like how to make brain taste good? <laughs> Well, there was definitely some research. Like I have Chris Cosentino's book, Awful Good. It's like one of the only like well-known organ mm-hmm. meat um, books. He's a chef who does incredible things with organ meats. And I was like looking at his stuff and I was doing some research and I was looking, you know, I did a little bit of that, but part of it was there were a couple kind of avenues that I went down. One was thinking of meals that I like already and thinking about how I can incorporate organ meats into them. So easy things like sausages and burgers and meatballs yep. and omelets whatever and how you can incorporate because i'm okay with people like hiding stuff a little bit if you need to Mm -hmm. do what every parent in the history of the world has done for their kids and like hide their vegetables under some melted cheese like we're doing the organ meat version of this right like if you need to mix it up and hide it getting the nutrition great so there's sort of that approach and then it was like looking through different cultural cuisines and like different ethnic cuisines and like how are these people already doing this stuff because I have a lot of people reach out to me on Instagram that are like this isn't weird to me like everyone's talking about how this is extreme this isn't weird I make this stuff every Sunday Mm. with my family because it's really only a select group of people maybe in North America who are privileged enough to take one cut from an animal and disregard the rest like you know like we talk about how it's a privileged position to be a vegan because before grocery stores you couldn't choose to be a vegan you'd starve to death you would die yes yeah so so yeah so i mean it's really like a very small subset we have this like concept that we are the baseline and everybody else is weird when really throughout all of history and every part of the world people ate every part of the animal because that's just what you did like before google told you how nutrient dense liver was people just hunted animals and ate their livers because they knew right yeah so yeah it was a lot of like trial and error it was a lot of like okay so I experimented with this stew. Now I'm going to add some ingredients and change some things up to make it work for me. So it was really just kind of like 
trial and error and like playing around really. And I did actually get, um, I was smart. I got a couple like chef and recipe developer friends of mine to contribute recipes as well. So like Ben Greenfield's family contributed a tongue taco mm. recipe. And I have some other like chef friends who gave me like a really good Northern Italian liver and onions. That's like delicious and stuff like that. So I had some like ringers come in and, and help me out too. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's smart. I mean, Oh, where to go with this? Like we've been eating, I'll just give you a personal experience at the home. We've been eating liver jerky. Because somebody's like, oh man, liver jerky is so good, it's easy, and I've got a food dehydrate or whatever. So we've been making that, and you know, my son likes it. You know, I eat it. I don't know if I would say I like it, but I, um, when I'm eating it, I like the nutrients that I'm getting, right? So it's a different kind of preference of what I'm trying to achieve. And but I think to your point about like sometimes doing things that are hard, sometimes not doing the things that are easier, convenient, you know, like there's so much of the fragility, anti-fragility built into that. And I think about it all the time for health, nutrition, for just like parking at the end of the parking lot instead of like taking the, or taking the stairs instead of the escalator, like, you know, seek the path of most resistance. So yes. when it comes to organ meats, like obviously organ meats, the way I see it are way more nutrient dense generally, right? Um, they're also a lot of times cheap and, and easy, like easy to get, mm -hmm. right? Like liver versus like a grass-fed steak. I mean, we're talking like 10, 10, 10 livers versus a steak, right? So Absolutely. can you speak on that a little bit? Like the sustainability, the cost and you know, why, like what are some benefits? Like why do people want to eat organs other than just like, oh, I assume they're better for me. Yeah. I mean, I do love though what you said about like, you know, choosing paths that aren't necessarily the easiest because for every time that I try to convince people that liver doesn't have to be disgusting, there's also a part of me that says like, grow up and eat it anyway yep. like yep. because again i go back to like when you were a kid and your your parents were like forcing you to sit at the table until you ate your broccoli like no one eats broccoli because it's delicious you eat it because you were told that it's good for you and that you eat things that are nourishing and good for you mm -hmm. so not every that's another kind of like unfortunate byproduct of the incredibly privileged life we have is that we now believe that food should be incredibly cheap, incredibly quick and easy and available and hyper palatable every single thing we put in our mouths. We think Indicti everything indicting. should be delicious. Yep, yep. Yeah. If it's not delicious, then I don't want to do it. And if it's not super cheap, like we spend less money per percentage of our income on food than, than we have ever, right? Like mm -hmm. we spend less time in the kitchen. We don't prioritize these things. And I understand that other people are busier than me. I don't have kids. Like I understand that people have it rougher and you have to be more budget conscious. And you have to be more time conscious, but it really is a reprioritization of like the food that you're putting into your body and your, your family's bodies are the, mo some of the most important things you can do. So if you want to spend a little bit more percentage on that and a little bit more time making things together and, you know, look at things like it's nourishment versus just fun for your mouth, <laughs> right? Like, eat the liver because it's good for you. Anyway, mm -hmm. so that's one rant. But yes, most, I would say most organ meats, generally speaking, are very economical and much better bang for your buck nutrition wise and even quantity wise. So if you think about something like a beef heart, which is two and a half to three pounds, like that's a head sized heart um, that can feed you know, a family of four for probably a couple of days. And that's 15 bucks. I mean, you're getting pounds of meat, right? Chicken livers, chicken hearts, beef tongue. That's another one that you, it may take you a little bit of time to get your head around prepping it because it looks like a tongue. It's kind of grisly, but you know, we're talking again, maybe two pounds, pound and a half, two pounds for $15, huge amount of meat, things like chicken hearts and chicken livers that you can get at any grocery store. And like, like you said about kind of easy to get a lot of these cuts are 
more easy to source than you think, but you aren't looking for them. Most people mm -hmm. aren't looking for them. Like you could literally go to any grocery store and probably get chicken hearts, chicken liver, chicken gizzards. You're just, your eyes are going over them because you're not looking for them, right? So there are some organs that are a bit more expensive because they are rare or because they have like this perception that they're fancy. So again, going back to like the arbitrary concept of what is okay to eat and what isn't, so silly that we're like yeah cut, cut this hunk off the back i'm good like the heart creepy like why would i do that that's extreme but like things like sweetbreads for whatever reason have really entered a bit more of the mainstream world as like a delicacy right so you find them at french restaurants yeah, french and mm -hmm. poached and fried and they're duck delicious. liver too right so right. like some of these things might be a little bit more expensive but generally speaking some of the more common and easy and versatile cuts things like heart and tongue and liver are going to be really easy and cheap to find. So, and I also recommend like in book, one of the things that you want to do, if again, you are committing yourself to paying more attention to what you eat and really sort of immersing yourself in that world is go make friends with your local butcher. Like there are, there mm. may be some people who geographically have a harder time with this, but most places in North America, you have a butcher shop somewhere relatively close by or a farmer's market where farmers are yep. really coming and bringing their food personally. And they will be more than happy to answer questions, to talk to you. You can ask if they have these cuts, where they're getting them from, um, where the farms are and, and how they're being raised and where they're being slaughtered and how they're coming to you, all of the stuff, how you prep them, how you cook them. Like I was making great friends with butchers around here because I was going in every week and ordering Mm -hmm. all kinds of weird stuff. So they were happy to talk to me and answer questions. And um, you learn a lot that way. And I think that, again, of course, you want to be doing that rather than picking up some liver from the grocery store when you don't know where it's come from, how long it's been there. I still think there are other kind of controversial conversations that we could have around, you know, how maybe some of this like conventional meat isn't as bad nutritionally as we've been led to believe. And Oh, you know, really? Well, so what do you mean by that? <laughs> Because I have well, my opinions on this topic. <laughs> well, I mean, if you read like uh, Sacred Cow here, like Diana Rogers, Rob Wolf, fantastic book. And this, again, isn't speaking to the ethics or whatever of, mm -hmm. of feedlot factory farming kind of nightmare. But there seems to be some evidence or at least lack of evidence that eating the highest quality grass finished beef is going to have a significant improvement on the person eating it. Their Compared health. to grain fed, you mean? Compared right. to so you're, you're saying grain fed may not be as bad and slash grass fed may not be as good as they like to make it sound. Yeah, I think the idea of it for me has always been because I don't like to be super dogmatic about anything, which I know makes me not as popular as other people on the Internet because being clickbait and controversial is better than being nuanced. But I really think that if people get paralyzed by I'm not within 10 miles of a grass finished beef farm and I can't have the highest quality, I'm gonna eat this diseased meat and it's gonna make me sick, it's gonna be terrible, just screw it, I'll go be a vegan or I'll go to the grocery store, right? Where, you know, I think Diana Rogers has said, you can't like quote me completely here, but she basically said like, factory beef still better than Twinkie, right? Yep. So it's about, for me, it's about making the best decisions you can with what you have available to you, with where you are geographically, with your budget, with your ability to kind of make these decisions. Just try to make the better decision, but don't be paralyzed. Don't be, you know, guilty about not doing the best, the most every time. Just arm yourself with this information and like make the best decisions where you can, you know?
Another big thing that I wanted to talk about with the, the meat story, because a lot of another kind of challenge that people come to me with is they're like, well, do I have to be worried about toxins and organ meats? And are they like less safe to prep and to make? Because I think, again, because people have this concept that organs are extreme, they think of them as like scarier or more dangerous for whatever reason. And generally speaking, I mean, of course, you have to use your own discretion and, and prep the food in the way that makes you, you know, feel comfortable. And I can't tell anybody, like, go out there and eat raw liver, you'll be fine. Like, you need to use your own judgment. But if you are sourcing high quality, local, fresh, well-raised meat, there really isn't a difference in the risk factor in eating the muscle meat versus the organs. So, you know, things like liver and kidney, which everyone talks about as being filtering organs. And so they're, they're filtering the toxins or going to be full of toxins. They filter the toxins. They don't store them, right? So right. they filter them. They're methylated so that they can then be excreted, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're actually worried about eating toxic animal products, where we store our toxins, everyone knows, is in our fat right? Humans and animals. So if you're worried, you should be like skipping the fatty ribeye and maybe yeah, eating, cuts. I don't know, like yeah. higher quality leaner cuts or, or better quality liver, right? Which nobody wants to hear because it wants to eat the fatty part. Well, at least I do. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I think the more we talk about it and the more we normalize it and show people, not in a judgmental way, but just show people that it's, it's really arbitrary and learned for us to be afraid of eating the whole animal when we are doing ourselves a disservice by ignoring and throwing away the most nutrient dense parts. And if you, even if you are somebody who wants to eat less meat for whatever reason, because you think it's better for the environment or it's more ethical, if you want to eat less meat, the best way to do that is to eat organs because you're getting so much more bang for your buck. You can eat less and get more out of it. So it's really a win-win no matter how you select More it. nutrition. You get more nutrition per penny too. That's another thing. It's like, it might be the same poundage, but you might be getting double the amount of vitamins and minerals or this or that or whatever. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of benefits to, to, to organs. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around like, okay, I'm eating liver. What, <laughs> what would be the next thing to expand from my, my liver crisp jerky? That's just like a convenient, more of a snack to like an accessible meal that I could like program into our like weekly schedule. Like, yeah, I mean, I would almost tell people who are just getting started to not even start with liver. I would say start with organs that are also muscle meats. So again, heart. So what are like those? Kind of heart, heart, heart and heart. tongue too, right? Tongue, tongue heart. is almost like shredded. I've made tongue tacos. It's just like shredded beef. It's amazing. Like it's probably, the, I think the easiest organ meat I've ever had. Exactly. And it's yep. fatty and it's delicious. Yep. If you delicious. are scared of buying a tongue, just go to a good Mexican restaurant and order some tongue tacos. You won't even know that it's tongue. Converted. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so delicious. Mm -hmm. But yeah, start with those because a lot of people have an issue texturally, right? So they're mm -hmm. freaked out by the liver's texture. So get an organ or a cut that is just like muscle meat. And heart is has a very beefy kind of steaky texture and it's really versatile. So you can chop it up and marinate it overnight. Some, you know, whatever spices and vinegar and then you put on your bar barbecue. You can put it in your skillet. You can stuff it with whatever you want and roast it in the oven. I mean, there are so many things you can do with heart. Super easy. And a lot of the organs do have like similar kind of nutritional profiles. Like liver, as we know, is sort of the most nutrients. It has the most of everything you want. But even heart has, you know, a ton of iron, a ton of B vitamins, A vitamins, CoQ10, of course, which we know is a great antioxidant, lots of natural antioxidants, lots of protein. Um, so again, it's not like liver or bust, you know, you can 
eat all of these other things. You don't have to like everything. Like I tell people all the time, I don't really like kidney. Like I tried, like I made some recipes, I'm, I'm working on it, but I don't love it. So I'm not going to force myself. I'm eating liver, I'm eating heart, I'm eating tongue, find what works for you and just try to incorporate it, you know, relatively regularly. And you'll, you will notice you will notice a difference. You will feel more healthy. Like Mm -hmm. I'm sure as you know, I talk about this all the time, but like when I eat liver, I feel nourished in a way that I not when I eat any other thing, like you can't eat a chicken breast and tell me that you feel the same way as after you eat a couple ounces of liver. It's completely different. It's so bioavailable and it's so dense with everything you need. It's like you're supercharged. It's, you know, it's worth it. Yeah. And I think, I think an important thing to point out here, which is actually conflict of interest for me concerning the products I sell, but people need to think about food as their primary form of supplementation, right? Vitamins and minerals. That's what people, they go to the supplement aisle and they want to like, take this for that, take that for that. And I think supplements can be used to maybe optimize. And some people do have issues with even absorption or like they really need iron for whatever reason, like you know, postpartum, uh, Allison, she's having some iron issues. So we got to figure out how to like diagnose that. And it's a combination of real food and supplements, but it's not just supplements. Right. So I feel like not having organ meats in this, the standard American diet is probably one of the reasons that we have so many people so deficient in so many vitamins and minerals. And like, I mean, literally they say like, like a few ounces of liver once a week gets like all your vitamin A, like for the whole week or whatever. Right. So it's like, I don't know where I was going with that, but we need people to eat more organs, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the, you know, and it's kind of similarly to what you're saying. Like, you know, that like funny meme on the internet or whatever, that's like people will eat Twinkies and like rockstar drinks. But then if you tell them to like never eat carbs, they become scientists. And like, so when you're telling them to eat something healthy, they suddenly get like very overly kind of defensive and interested. Like people ask me all the time. They're like, well, are you worried about like iron overdose or like vitamin A overdose and all of these things. Yeah, and they like, create boogeymen to like, basically yeah, like, make it easier to make their bad decisions. <laughs> right. Like if I eat liver, am I going to have like too much iron and it's going to kill me? It's like, okay, yep. there are a very small portion of people in the world that if you have done your due diligence and you get your blood tests and you kind of know what's going on with your body, you're going to be more susceptible to some of these things. Very rare. And usually that kind of stuff, iron, vitamin A, all of those kind of things come from actual supplements, not from eating whole foods because mm-hmm. you have to eat so much of it and just nobody's eating 14 ounces of, of liver a day. Nobody's doing mm-hmm. that. It's so much more likely that you are going to benefit from eating organ meats than you're going to have an issue. So, I mean, it's not, that's not a problem for 99% of people. 99% of people can slight, like start to baby steps, incorporate some of the stuff, couple ounces at a time, mixed in with your ground beef if you need to, made into a mousse or pate where it's full of butter and cream and booze. How can you not like that? That's one way to make liver palatable. And you're going to notice a difference. And I totally agree with you that we, of course, we are all, a lot of us, massively vitamin deficient. We've got like vitamin D problems, magnesium problems, iron, all the B vitamins. We're just, we're, it's a mess. And we mm-hmm. don't have to spend, and I know, like you said, you, you, have, a, you have a supplement company. but you, I still want people to eat real food first, though. That's yeah. always the thing they need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like, I eat more organ meats than anyone I know, and I still supplement on and off. And I still Mm -hmm. have products that, because I'm not going to eat organ meat all the time and I travel and your situation changes and your health changes and your goals change. And so it's really about being really on top of your body's signals and paying attention to them and knowing what you need. But I mean, you know, absolutely. Organ meat should be like the first line of defense. That's like nature supplement. And then you kind of go and tweak from there. Yeah. Well, and also is I've thought about this quite a bit talking about like liver jerky on a previous podcast. I was like, okay, why is there certain things like eating too much liver? Even though I've actually looked at some of the research, 
it's kind of suspect that you could actually eat too much liver and have issues like vitamin A. They say like vitamin A toxicity is a common thing. Um, but let's assume that that's the case. Well, if we think about we're hunting a big bison or the old auroch or whatever, mastodon or whatever, well, they usually have like one organ for each kind of thing, right? And if you had 40 mixed sex homo sapiens that have to survive off this kill, like not everybody's going to be eating a full serving of liver and you're probably not going to be eating it like every day or every other day or whatever. So it, it almost looks like if you look at nature and you look at the nutrient profile and the mix of the animals that we would have hunted and lived off of, which is red meat, wild game, et cetera, it almost seems like organ meats are like nature's supplement because we would only have had them, right? Like based on hunting and rates and all these different things, like a little bit here and there, and they would probably would have been spaced out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just like sugar, right? Like people make that argument. Yeah, honey just honey too. sometimes or fruit yeah. only a certain time of the year. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but again, I think that's why there, there has to be context and nuance with these conversations and like, you know, uh, the carnivore diet, which I, I actually like. I use a tool though. Like I, don't, I don't call myself a carnivore or say that I only eat carnivore, but I do actually like it as a like temporary reset tool. And mm-hmm. I think if we start looking at these different methodologies, these different diet protocols, these different approaches, instead of as our personality, like our identity or, you know, how we can differentiate ourselves from other people or whatever, and instead look at it like, these are tools that I'm educating myself about that I have in my toolbox that I can use when I need to. And yeah, like I go through periods, especially after my book was done, where I was like, don't show me another Mm -hmm. organ meat, okay? Because my freezer has been full of gnarly stuff for months mm-hmm. and I want to break. I'm going to eat chicken thighs and I'm going to, I don't know. Um, and that's fine. And I, you know, I, that's the other thing too, is a lot of these things, like they're, they're stored too. So like, if you eat, if you're, if you have like, you do your sort of cyclical bounty and maybe your next like meat CSA or whatever, you get some liver and some heart and you eat a bunch of it over like a month or two, maybe you go a month or two and you don't eat any, like it's, you know, that's again, it's more being in tune with the way our bodies are supposed what to What do you eat. mean by stored? You mean like, like the nutrients uh, that they yes. that release slowly, right? Yes. Right. Can you yeah. explain that a little bit? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, so like vitamin D, as we know, and I don't, I don't know if it's different when you supplement it, like with a supplement versus when you're absorbing it um, through the sun. But when you're absorbing it through the sun, your tissues can absorb enough so that it sort of lasts you for a while. Right? Um, and I don't think all all vitamins, I'd have to check. I don't think all yeah, there's certain ones do that. There's certain B yeah. vitamins that can like last in the liver for a long time. That's why you typically vegans can kind of go two to three years and they're like, I feel amazing. And then you're four, they're like, if they didn't have supplementation in place, they're like, I can't move. I can't think nothing, you know, right, like right, there's right. a lot of that stored in the, in, in your fat and your, in your organs and they're kind of released slowly. But if you think about that, that makes sense. Like nature had to program our species to go potentially long periods of time without game, maybe without these plants or that fruit or that, whatever. Like we are extremely resilient, the most resilient species on the planet, basically the most successful anyways. So mm-hmm. if we didn't have, like, if we had to eat, I think about this a lot when people talk about like, pH, the, the al- acid alkaline balance, mm. which I think is basically a myth at this point. But mm-hmm. I'm like, if mother nature had it so that we had to be worrying about like what foods we were eating, we had to get on a schedule. And we lived in an environment where we could literally not choose what food was going to come to us that day. Like th- this doesn't add up, like yeah, doesn't yeah. add up at all. So I don't think our bodies are like pools that have to be perfectly balanced, like pH or with certain vitamins or minerals, you know, yeah. over years or months. Yeah. Like you can run into problems, but generally a mixed omnivore diet is probably going to get you everything you need. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that's why probably the thing that I would 
push or advocate for the most over anything is metabolic flexibility and just general resilience, which you get from not being super dogmatic and following something incredibly restrictive and strict. Because when you do that, again, I'm not talking about people who, because of their very specific health problems, have to eat a certain way or they're mm-hmm. they're going to die. I'm talking about the vast majority of us in the middle who can kind of just do whatever. Um, yeah. If you only eat super, super strict and you can't ever eat a carb or you go nuts and then like, your situation changes and your body falls apart, you have to be able to adapt and be flexible. Like I've reached the point over, you know, you know I'm not perfect and I'm not in, in perfect health. I, I do my best and I, I think I do okay. But like, I've reached a point over years of work and understanding my body and experimenting where if I need to fast for 36 hours, I can, and I'm fine. And if I need to eat only fat, for a week, I'll be fine. And if I eat a ton of carbs next week, because I feel like it, I'll also be fine. And that's, that is what I think we should all be striving for. And especially in this weird time of uncertainty, when there's so much out of our control, what we do have control over is our own individual resilience and ability to adapt and be flexible to whatever's kind of coming at us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if people are willing to take that responsibility, which a lot of people aren't right. So, I mean, we're talking about organ meats. This is like pretty niche of niche, you know, but what are, what are some simple ways that people can like, what are some of your favorite recipes for people to get started? So we talked about tongue, right? Are there any like things that you just fry in a pan or is it usually like slow cooked or is it just like a mixed bag where you have like some stuff where you just prep in a food processor, some you bake, some you do this, like give me some uh, like staples. Yeah, like, so, I mean, some really easy stuff is, of course, one of the super sexy foods that has even reached, like, mainstream approval is, like, bone broth, right? Oh, yeah, sure. So, could could it get any easier? And you're getting tons of amino acids and healthy fats and collagen and all that good stuff. And it's literally just, like, what did you eat? Like, pick the bones and put it in a slow cooker and put some, I don't know, spices or whatever you want in there, and you, you get bone broth. And then you can even use the bone broth if you're somebody who, God forbid, you eat carbs or something. You can make your rice with bone broth, and then you've got nutrition from that, right? So, I mean, to glaze your is- pans with bone broth, you can make a sauce. Every time I cook steak, I throw some bone broth in, it deglazes the pan, then you pour that with butter over the steak. It's oh like, you know, there you go. Delicious. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, stuff like that is super easy. I always tell people with heart, I mean, you can do so much with it. Like I said, it's versatile, but you can also literally buy a heart, like clean it up a little bit, chop it up and put it in your skillet with some butter and you can eat it. I mean, it's, it couldn't be easier. Um, the same goes for chicken hearts. And a lot of people maybe feel certain ways about poultry, but like chicken hearts, you buy a pound of them for three bucks and you put them in your skillet for five minutes. And you just brown them, right? Maybe some salt brown and them. then just taste them, taste it. Yeah. That's I like it when they're really cooked it. down. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I had them for breakfast yesterday. Like they're so easy. It's ridiculous. Liver. So another one, like a lot of times with um, chicken liver, and I tell people too, if you're kind of like dipping your toes in to organ meats and you're a little bit intimidated by the taste or the prep that you want to start small. And I mean, physically small with smaller animals, because the smaller the animal, the milder they're going to taste. So a chicken liver is much milder tasting than a bison liver. Mm -hmm. Um, But even things like lamb, like a lamb, lamb liver, lamb heart is going to have a milder, but also more lamby flavor so if you like that you know their organs are going to taste of the animal um that they're coming from so yeah i mean uh liver like i like to clean up some chicken livers wrap them in prosciutto or bacon again throw them on the skillet with some ghee 
cook until they're, they, you don't want to overcook liver because it's, that's when it gets really like rubbery and pasty and gross. You want them to be a little Chalky. pink on the inside. Yep. yep. But yeah, I mean, wrap it in bacon. Like I, I'm not going to judge you wrap whatever you want in bacon. It makes it taste better. Like put it on the right. oven. Yeah. I mean, it's like some of these things too, like you can also go to like your butcher, for example, if you want to do um, the sort of like ground beef burgers that are liver, kidney, heart, and ground beef. And you Those don't want to do all that work. They're yep. so good. But yep. most, most butchers will kind of do that for you. If you say, can you do a mix for me? And you usually want to do sort of like a four to one ish ratio so that you're really not tasting it too much. Like you might a little bit, we'll do it for you. So my other recommendation is like, if you want to do this in sort of progressive steps, you don't have to go from standard American diet to sourcing your own brain. Like start out by going to restaurants and having professionals make this stuff for you. Just so you can get a taste for it. Yep. So you can try That's it good point. and then have your butcher prep the stuff for you Buy sliced tongue at your Jewish deli. So you don't have to buy the tongue yourself and make it like just ease your way in. And then you'll get to the point you'll become more empowered and more into it. And then you'll go buy your own and you'll try it and, you know, do it in stages. But it's like, I look at it like it's a, adventure it's fun you get to try new things and have new experiences and when you buy a different cut of meat and you make a recipe and it turns out that's cool that's fun that's empowering you just did something and learned something and provided nutrition for your family and that's awesome so you know look at it that way instead of this is scary and weird and i'm freaked out by it look at it like this is weird and interesting and fun like let's give this a shot you know yeah i we need you know we need a complete revamp of how America thinks about food anyways, which I think is like a lot of what motivates why like you do what you do, I do what I do, you know. But I will say that the point about the ground beef, the ground, so there's a company, I think it's Force of Nature. I think they're based in Austin and they have this ancestral blend, which is three or four organs and they have a bison and a beef. And I'm telling you, literally awesome. it tastes like ground beef. I mean, I can taste no difference with a little bit of salt and you can make meatballs, burgers, you could just brown it and, you know, maybe put some cheese on whatever. That's pretty much answers the question. I think that's probably the easiest way to get yeah. started. I think yeah. then after that, looking into a pate. So can you give us like the ba your basic favorite pate recipe? Because there's like a thousand ways to do it, but it's all kind of based on the same simple technique usually. Premise, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I've got like duck terrine in there because duck liver and duck like foie gras and duck fat is like the most delicious thing in yep. the world. And I've got a chopped liver in there and then I've got a chicken liver mousse. I think those are the only three sort of pate related recipes, but essentially it's you lightly cook the liver so again you're going to put some chicken liver in a in a skillet with some butter maybe until it's like just cooked through so pink on the inside you really don't want to overcook it in this scenario and then you're generally mixing it with um cream butter some kind of a little bit of booze to give it sort of just I don't know what it does, or but it wine. makes it better. <laughs> wine. Like, um, wine. And also, yeah. if you don't want to use booze, you can also kind of like do like apple cider vinegar. Like it yep. needs some kind of acid. It is not as good. I'll be completely upfront with you. I've made the chicken liver mousse in my book. Paleo with apple cider vinegar and like the good way with right. cream and tequila. And it's way better with tequila. Um, but essentially, it's making this very, very like rich, savory, but a little bit sweet spread i mean i don't know too many people who eat meat that don't love a pate like on a charcuterie board maybe with some like salty crackers or something super super rich i mean that's it spices maybe a little bit of like chopped garlic and onion something you put it in a blender yeah, you can do whatever you want cool. you can literally flavor it any way you want it's it couldn't be easier that's probably yeah. the recipe i actually make the most for my own book is it also the keeps well right chicken liver mousse keeps yeah, in the yeah. fridge well yeah yeah, but it, I mean, yeah. it doesn't last that long. It's very good. Like it's, you know, and again, you eat a couple spoonfuls and you're like, I just like supercharge myself for the day. Like that's all you need. You don't have to eat 
a cup of it, you know? Yeah. Do you, do, have you, are there any seafood recipes in there? Because I actually do a cod liver pate. That is like my new favorite thing. I mean, canned cod liver is actually pretty accessible. You can get on Amazon and everything. And it's something I never thought about eating in its whole form because I've always just like thought cod liver comes in a bottle to supplement. But I'm like, it's amazing. And I usually mix it with sardines and I blend it up. And my, oh my son God. loves it. It's probably one of the most nutrient dense things that he eats. So delicious. Cod liver. People are sleeping on this because yeah, it comes in a can. It's like I know, it's so easy to get. Up. I'm like, it is the most decadent, delicious thing ever. So it's funny you mention it because I really don't have that many fish recipes. It's kind of just harder to work with by nature of the animal. But right. I do have like a fish broth that's really good. Mm. I have a like my own. Sort of, it's actually cod liver um, like egg salad. It's really good. Super easy recipe. I'll send you, I'll send it to you so you can, you know, I'm, well, I'm waiting on my book actually. Yeah. So I could be talking book, about this more. <laughs> the, book, the book is coming to you right. very soon. Um, but I tried like another thing I tried to do with some of these recipes is like, I really wanted to, again, bring my personal experience to it. So I was trying to find recipes from the places where I'm from, the places where my family's from, the places I've lived. Um, and one recipe that didn't make it into the book, unfortunately, but it's a big recipe um, on the East coast of Canada, where I'm from is cod tongues and cod Cod tongues. Have hmm. you ever had cod tongue? No. Okay, so cod it's is an actual the tongue yes. of the cod? Yes. And usually what they usually how they're prepared is fried. So they'll be like breaded and battered like fish and chips. And of course you can do this in a healthier way if you want with like paleo kind of gluten-free breading or whatever. But they're just like liver, like the the cod is like a fatty, rich fish and the tongue is just this like morsel of like fatty delicious fish. it was so good but anyway cod tongue's mm. not easy to come by unless you like live in newfoundland so i didn't get to put that one in there but i'm hoping to kind of um play around with you know some more recipes sort of in the future because again i had six months and i had to send it all in but uh yeah not as many fish but there's some in there yeah well let's get into the lighting round and then i'll let you go this has been Great. plenty of stuff for people to get into and obviously where they can get the book and everything i assume it's going to be on all the places that it's usually Amazon physical all copy. All the places, yep. yep. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be in stores. I don't know when this is coming out, but it'll be in like Barnes and Noble chapters, whatever, as of October twentieth, and then you can buy it online, October Amazon, 20th, cool. yeah, wherever books are sold. Awesome. Okay, so what is something? And let's let's do the the pandemic edition for this one. So normally it would be like a hundred dollar purchase or less that impacted you, but let's do the hundred dollar purchase or less during the pandemic that impacted you or was meaningful. Um, $100 purchase during the pandemic. I mean, I bought a pull-up bar. And that wasn't 100 bucks, actually. I'm lying. Well, 100 or less. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, it was probably it was, actually way more it was expensive. more than <laughs> Way more expensive. Because, come on, Yeah, I'm that's true. Rogue, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be crazy expensive. Um, I mean, honestly, going back to sort of supplements, I have to say the thing that made a huge difference at the beginning of the pandemic for me, because I think it was just a mixture of stress. And I'm normally somebody who moves around and leaves my house and travels all the time. And just yep. whatever was happening to my body the first few months, I started exhibiting some weird health issues that I normally do not have. Like I was having like weird histamine responses mm. and like I was getting hives. I've never had hives in my life, like all kinds of weird stuff. And I started supplementing with, and of course, I mean, as you know, like high histamine foods are also the healthiest, most delicious foods. It's like bone broth, avocado, meat, like it, crazy. Mm -hmm. So um, I had to kind of adjust my diet a little bit, but I started taking um, digestive enzymes, probiotics, and um, it's, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's called quercetin, quercetin, 
this, this yeah quercetin maybe sometimes yeah, yeah whatever that is but that's actually something that's been on my radar honestly the combination of those things made a significant difference in my health because i could just tell that my body was like going a little bit haywire under like the different set of pressures and i needed like my histamine and my sort of just like immune response was just kind of like overflowing and yep. the combination of those three things completely sorted me out so i think people just need to understand in this kind of time that like just because you're high functioning and just because you're still working out every day and eating well this is a weird unprecedented time and our bodies are going to be affected by that and so give yourself a little bit of a break supplement where you need to pay attention to what your body's telling you because you may not be registering it because you're just so go 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 but don't let yourself do that yeah for sure Favorite binge-worthy show during the pandemic that you did binge on and finish, or maybe you're in the process of? Okay, so this is, again, very on-brand for this conversation. Have you watched Hannibal? I have not. I keep seeing it, though, oh pop up, God. though. I, I'm not a fan. Of, is it is it more suspenseful or more scary? Suspenseful. Suspenseful, but yeah. very gross. Oh, very really? Gross. Like, it was, it, was originally, gross. it was originally on NBC, and I'm like, how in the hell was this on tv like, maybe they sold of, it to netflix or something is it on netflix or where's it on? it's on it's on netflix yeah. it's one of the most graphic shows i've ever seen but it is also incredibly well acted and beautifully shot like you know like not not like this but you remember when 300 came out and everyone was like the cinematography yeah. the and, the, and the color like, the color grading they did and everything was super awesome yeah it yep. is beautiful. But of course the guy's eating people. So <laughs> people were sending this to me all day long. They're like, Hey, are you watching the show? I'm like, I don't eat people, but yes. And I love the show. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we got the Netflix show. We got the, we have the hundred dollar. Okay. If you would put something on the billboard during the pandemic and the, during the pandemic only, which I guess is still going on, what would that be? What would that, like a phrase or a call to action or something? Oh my God, these, these rapid fire questions are <laughs> eat, so eat, hard. Eat organ meat, I mean, or eat more organs eat, or something I mean, like that. Truly like eat organ meats, but also think for yourself. Oh yeah, okay, we'll expand that. What do, you mean, easier, what do you mean? Easier said than done. What do you mean think for yourself? Listen, like, and why, why would you say that? I think that, listen, we know that we're in a time when we spend too much time online. We are at the whim of clickbait and sensationalism and picking sides. Algorithms algorithms yep. and it's a very divisive time that we're in right now and it's even worse when we're stuck at home when we can't just have normal conversations with real people and understand that the world actually isn't reflected in the media like the media is creating something and we're that's not really what people are like um and so i yep. think it's just increasingly important for us who are we are still going to connect and the only way we can do that is online is to not let the knee-jerk reactions the algorithms the fighting and the negativity get to you because it won't get you anywhere we won't progress as human beings in our career in our relationships in life by letting that shit drag us down so I know it's easier said than done, but just like try to just curate it and think for yourself and like, don't be reactive, be proactive and just use it for what you need instead of letting it use you, I think. Yeah, the last part is what I was going to say, actually, it's most people get used by their devices, they do not use their devices. And so, you know, Cal Newport's book, Digital Minimalism is a huge, a huge important read. Um, but it really, at the end of the day, like using things like airplane mode, turning off notifications, like if you use... I'll just give some everyone some advice, right? A lot of us are working remotely. A lot of us are at home. There's nobody really managing us. We have to manage ourselves. And for some people, that's new and different. If you have notifications that show up on your screen or on your phone when you're working, it is the antithesis to deep work and getting things done. It, it also creates low-level anxiety where you're always like, oh my gosh, somebody's, you know, even when nobody's texting you, you're like, 
well, somebody could be texting me. And then you like check your ringer. You're like, you like go into your message real quick. Make sure you didn't miss anything. You know how you have like those phantom messages that show up. Like this shit is ruining. It, it's quite literally ruining our species. And I, I actually don't think we know how bad it is just yet. And I will leave the audience with one example of where we could go with this. So Japan is having a issue with low birth rates because nobody's having sex, right? Now they're trying to connect all these reasons why that is. Japan itself has always been kind of an, a xenophobic culture and they very much key to themselves. You don't talk to strangers, it's very strange if you do that. Like, you know, the younger generation is growing up on devices to which their only form of communication with the opposite sex is quite literally through their device. They don't know how to talk in real life. I mean, I, it's just it's like, terrifying. it's, yeah, it's almost like a not, like we're watching this ex social experiment that could happen here or could happen in 20 years or whatever. And I mean, I think we're seeing this in China more too, because they're all the kids are growing up with smartphones. They've had smartphones even longer than we've had. And so we're going to see a North lot America. of issues. It's close to home too. Like I worry about the generation. I, you know, I, maybe it's me being biased, but I feel like we're sort of at a generation where at least we sort of grew up in our really formative years without being attached to social Yeah. You media. and I though. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Like 30 like, plus. Right. But before that, I mean, literally, what well, iPhone was 2009. So you have kids that are going to literally, by the time they can, I mean, at this point, even they get iPads when they're four, like, because it's just easier. Give them an iPad, right? Like, they're getting iPhones at like seven and eight, I've been hearing people. For women, I actually saw some research with this recently. Girls have it harder with social media, and this made a lot of sense to me, because they tend to go to social media and they kind of get into the comparison mode, the grass screener, the toxicity, all these things. Like they start trying to appeal and look a certain way. Whereas boys don't struggle as much because they tend to like go play games and they kind of release in a different way because they're interested in different things. And I was like, that's why there's more suicides on the rise among young women. And it's like, we have no idea how bad this is going to get. These, these people are going to grow up. They're going to get into government. They're going to get into corporations. Like, like it's just really, really bad. Who told us that we can't teach girls to go play sports and get their validation through physical competence? Who told us that? We've created this narrative like, yes, little boys and girls do have different interests. But if you encourage girls to learn about sports and physical activity and play, they're going to do it too. But we teach them a lot of times. It's like, oh, be careful. Don't climb that tree. Like, look cute in your little dress. And then we tell boys, go play and be boys and be rough and tumble. And then we wonder why women don't have that same body physical competence this is something i talk about on the podcast all the time that i believe especially for women because we aren't taught it when we're younger that true confidence comes from competency it doesn't come from being cute and it doesn't come from you know whatever being popular on instagram because there's always people cuter and more popular than you what gives you confidence is being good at things so if you learn to be good at a sport to be strong to use your body and of course to be good in school and smart and read books and all those things then you have real confidence where you can be like it's great that i'm cute it's great that i'm popular on instagram but guess what i also have a master's degree and can snatch my body weight or whatever you know so we need to we really need to push that competency and that building skills because as much as we are moving into an increasingly digital age like that still isn't real life as much as we think it is it isn't we still gotta have something behind the screen of value and substance yeah i don't know i'm i'm, I'm worried like i'm genuinely worried i even find myself getting sucked into conversations you know like you know the comment debates where you're just like do I not say anything here? Because if I don't say anything, they're getting the last word in. And I think what they just said is ridiculous. So there's this like inner desire to need to respond. But then you know when you respond, they're going to respond. And then it's just a never ending cycle. I literally was in like a 20 comment thread yesterday that I eventually was like, I was like, I, I told the social media person because it was on a Wild Foods account. I'm like, you're gonna have to block these people. I do not want to see their notification again. 
and it's just purely for a way to remove the notification. I don't care if I block them. I just don't want to see their comment again. And I'm a 35 year old male that is completely aware of all these things. And I still get pulled into like teenage debates online all the time. Like this is how insanely destructive. I literally believe it's destructive that technology and social media is for us, for humans. Like I think it's our greatest existential threat. I think if we don't fix it, we're going to probably have World War III and or civil war at some point some point soon. I agree. I agree. It's a big deal. I think to end it on a more positive note, because this <laughs> is terrifying and apocalyptic. I know. Is, I think that the, one of the only ways we can start to combat it is by doing what we're doing, but also like you have, you have one boy or two, two kids? I have two now. We just had a two, we just had a newborn, uh, Rowan. Uh, Six uh, weeks. Congratulations. Thank oh you. my God, really? That's yeah. really recent. He was born in this room behind me. We did a home birth and everything. It was crazy. Okay. Can we talk about that on my podcast? Cause oh, I'm totally. So I can also, okay. I also, Allison's very well-spoken and she loves podcasts. So we could even do a dual show about like raising feeding. I mean, my son, some of his first words, like when he was starting to talk, he's like more pate, more pate. He loves the color of pate. He would like say that is the cutest kid. thing ever. <laughs> Love this kid. Okay. You're uh, definitely coming on to talk at home. Absolutely. What I was saying was you have children and so you can raise them the way, it, right. you know, and again, they're still in the world. They're still a part of the scary world, but like you can impart what you know to these kids and what we're doing through the podcast and what you're doing through the products that you provide and the work that you provide, the information you put out there. Like some days it seems like it's literally a needle in a haystack, but if we all look at it that way, who can we impact immediately around us? That's, that's more important than like we yell loud enough on Instagram. Right. So yeah, um, I think I, we're doing the right that. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had one guy that reached out to me on Instagram yesterday. He said that I motivated him to start a YouTube channel. And I was like, dude, that's like, honestly, the best feedback I could get because I've gotten feedback where I lost 40 pounds. Like you just, I watched the video and I lost 40 pounds. And like, it just feel like I don't get to see the before and afters. Like, it's just harder to kind of translate that from text. But like, he started a YouTube channel and like, I'd love it if he had a million subs and he like made a difference in the world. But it's like, if every person that does that reaches a few other people. That's the entire idea of the paying it forward concept, right? Like that's what we have to do. That's why I always remind myself when it gets frustrating because it does get frustrating. You put out content, the algorithms fight you or you even get censored if you say the wrong thing or the wrong word or whatever. Um, people leave negative comments. You always remember the negative ones. You don't remember the 20 positive ones. Like content creators, it's strange. It's, it's almost like a masochistic thing to do that yeah. almost never makes any money or makes very little money or it takes years to make any money, right? Yeah. So it's definitely a labor of love. So yeah, you have to keep doing what you're doing as well. <laughs> It's a jungle out there, but you know. It totally is. Okay, so where can people find you on the interwebs? The place that we told them we sh they shouldn't go to anymore. <laughs> yeah, stay <laughs> off Instagram. But if you're going to go on there, check out yep. me at The Muscle Maven. I, I, that muscle is Maven. honestly online where, I, where I'm the most visible. So I'm, um, yeah, at The Muscle Maven. I also have a website. It's just my name, ashleyvanhouten.com. And then, yeah, my podcast, Muscle Maven Radio. You can get that anywhere you listen to podcasts. And the book, It Takes Guts. You can get that anywhere you buy books. Yeah, it's actually a great name. I don't think we even mentioned the name of the book this entire show. So I'll put that guts. in the title or something and then links and everything. So Ashley, it's been a pleasure. We'll schedule our show soon. Yeah. Great talking to you. Thanks, Colin. Please always remember that the members of the Ancestral Mind podcast are not, in fact, medical professionals. They're not doctors. They're not nutritionists. They are simply providing this entertainment for you to do your own research and to entertain yourselves. So please consult a physician before changing your diet. Not everything works for everybody. And make sure you always do your own research on everything you hear on this show and outside.